in strange times. Um, I would share this morning, I was sitting here quietly. I'll close my eyes and I'll think about what I did this week and, and uh, the things that I so desperately want to control that I can't. <laughs> and my mind just starts going crazy. And then Steve came in and he played the most beautiful version of Beautiful Savior. And I just, it just was so great and it made me feel so good that, that we have a Savior like that. And thank you, Steve, for that. So join me this morning in this morning's prayer confession. Almighty God, it is so easy to give up and throw in the towel because of some of life's issues can overwhelm us. It is in those times we admit that life is bigger than we are and we realize we need your help in all we do. We confess the times we think we can handle life on our own and kind of neglect you. We admit there are times our pride gets in the way of depending on you. There are other times we don't come to you because we feel guilty. It seems the only time we come to you is when we have exhausted all our feeble attempts that don't get it done or that we are overwhelmed with no other place to turn and use you as our last resort. Forgive us for the lack of belief that we can do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Lord God, help us to trust your promises and live confidently in you in all the days of our lives. Through Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My little children, I am telling you this so that you will stay away from sin. But if you sin, there is someone to plead for you before the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the one who is all that is good and who pleases God completely. He is the one who took God's wrath against our sins upon himself and brought us into fellowship with God. And he is the forgiveness for our sins, not only ours, but all the world's. Guidelines for living this morning comes from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Let's continue as we worship and let's stand together if you can and let's sing our praise choruses this morning. Thank you. 
Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King 
time, we'll receive our tithes and our offerings. Steve, would you read to us about what a friend we have in Jesus? For this hymn, we can look at Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Perhaps the main message of this hymn is found in the second verse, which says, Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The last line of the hymn is the promise. In his arms, he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. It was written in 1855 by Joseph Scriven. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the blessing that we have, that you are our friend. That you stand by our side and that you are with us all through life. We thank you for the privilege that we have to live this life. To live in the time that we're in and also many of the blessings, material and physically, that we have. And also too spiritually, what you did for us on the cross. Father, I pray that you bless these offerings that are given for your glory and your honor. And may they be used that way. In Jesus' name, amen.
Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, today we just are so grateful that you are our friend. That we can carry all of our cares and our burdens and lay them before you, Christ. I pray especially, Father God, today that as we come before you, we know that you hear us. You know what's going on inside of our hearts and in our minds and what we need today. I pray, Father God, especially for those who can't get out from our church. I think of Bill and Evelyn and Lucille and Karen, Kay, and Joyce. Be with them, Father God, as the difficulties in their life and the challenges now that they can't move in their bodies well anymore and they're almost prisoners to their bodies, that, Lord, you continue to be with them and they can feel your strength and help. I praise you too, Father God, for yesterday we celebrated one of our saints of our church, Betty, who turned 90. We just praise you, God, for her health and strength that she still has and how she comes and goes and does so well. I pray also, Father God, too, for people that we know that are going through difficult times. I pray especially for those that are uh, dealing with sadness. I pray especially for Ronica, who lost her 25-year-old son to fentanyl, Jesus. Just be with her and their family as they grieve. And as they continue to, Lord, um, look to you for strength. I pray also, too, for Tamar's family who lost her on Friday and her son found her, Lord, a 23-year-old. I just pray that you'll be with him and the rest of the family as they grieve. Father, I pray also, too, for friends of ours that are going through difficult times, for Angie, who's battling cancer, and also... For Todd, who's got heart problems. I pray for Samantha also, who has cancer. I thank you, Lord, for our sister, um, Judy, who's come through the surgery and her feet are healing fine. I pray for Everett, too, Lord, as he's had some complications from his surgery this past week. We pray for healing for him and continuing strengthening of him. I pray also, too, for a captain on the police department who had cancer removed and for his healing. Be with him and his family. I pray also, too, for Linda, who's had hand surgery and is having a difficult time with it also. I pray, Father God, too, for this country. I pray for its leadership, for our president and for the Congress, that they lead us. Lord Jesus, I pray that they'll look to you for their wisdom and not themselves, not the greed and not the special interest groups, but they'll look to you. I pray, Father God, too, for our own state and also our city council, Lord, and all this craziness that's going on in our society and the tremendous upheaval that's going on socially. And Lord, how even it's tipping the balance on moral issues and bringing things to our public arena that should never even be brought out. God, I just pray that you'll help us to be able to stand and stop this. And that, Lord, this sin sickness that's going on, Lord, can be broken. I pray for our nation, Lord, whatever needs to take place, Lord, with 
We know that you're in control and you can do many great things. I praise you for the brave people who still protect our democracy, our federation. And I pray, Lord, for them as they do it every day, Father. I pray also, too, for a little child that has uh, skin uh, issues, Lord, that you'll be with him and bring healing to him. I pray for those that we know that are addicts, Lord. Thank you that Jordan got out of the hospital again. I pray for his healing, but also his heart. I pray for him and Ryan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch, all who are battling the monkeys on their back. That you bring healing to their hearts and they'll look to you, Jesus, for strength. For those who are living in sobriety, Lord, protect them and continue to give them the strength that they need. I pray also to you, Father God, for our church as we move forward, Lord. Just give us the wisdom now as we move forward and the things that still have to be done and will get done and that, Lord, we can not only spread the gospel here in Wichita, but for the school and for the kids that are in it and that they can learn about you and have a safe place for that. And now, Father God, I pray for the word today as we listen to it, Lord that you give us what we need to have to walk out of here today changed, motivated to follow you and to live for you, Christ. I pray, Father God, for the world that we all go to and that you'll give us the words to say and help us to be bold and strong for that, Christ. And now, Father, speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever felt alone? Seriously, very alone? Moses felt that after Israel had basically gone to their pagan, idolatrous worship. And God told them that it was going to be that way. I know there are some who have felt aloneness when they were dropped off in a jail. And had to stay there overnight. I know some who've been dropped off out of college and felt that. I have some friends that were taken into the foster system as little children and felt very alone. I also know that there's some people who go through divorce. It's a very lonely spot. When someone who's devoted themselves and said they will be with you to life parts and then decides another avenue that's a very alone spot. But today we see Moses is feeling that way too. We see Moses become the mediator and to go between before the children of Israel who really messed up and committed a catastrophe by following the golden calf. And yet God makes himself known to the people of Israel as he does with us today through the scriptures. He's a God who loves his people and is very committed to his people. And today as we read the scriptures, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give. 
Exodus is a book about God making himself known to a group of people that he has chosen out of his own kindness of his heart. It's a God who really loves his people, but yet have been trashed him. And it's a wonderful book that helps us understand relationship with God. You know, there's been some great books written in the last couple of years by D.A. Carson, The God Who Is There, and Francis Schaeffer. Explaining to us what God is about and how he works and intertwines with our lives. And today Moses is feeling very sad. He goes to the people of Israel and he goes to God and says, Lord, don't leave me here. Lord, be with me, be with them. He's feeling so alone because God has wrath. And he's seen what the children of Israel have done. And think of how you would feel. You've been away a long time from your family. And you feel that you miss them. Moses is feeling that because he's missing not only the people, but he's mis- mis- feeling that he's missing God with them. And God does see what they've done. God knows what they've done. The people of Israel began back in Exodus chapter 2 wondering, does God really see us? Does God even know us? And then we find out that God really shows himself to them in many different ways. When Moses saw that they had built the calf, he came down with those covenant, with the wonderful Ten Commandments and smashed them and then drowned up the golden calf as an act of judgment upon the people of Israel. And God said to Moses, I am no longer going to go with these people. I am going to be outside of their camp. Because it was righteous anger. But Moses pleased with them. You see, this is another fall. We're used to Adam and Eve and the fall of the garden. We know the fall of society when Noah had to build the ark. We know the fall in the city of Babel. But now we see another fall. Here God who committed himself to his people and loves them and was going to be with them now says, I'm not going to do that anymore. And Moses is upset. We don't know how important it is. And this is what the children of Israel did not understand. Is how disastrous their sin that they committed was. They underestimated what that sin would do to them. It was as if that God had said to them, like a wife would say, yeah, let's go on a second honeymoon. And just before the husband and wife were to go, is to take the kids because I can't go. I don't want to go. This is the way it was. And God was upset with his people. You know, it's interesting, but I wonder sometimes for everybody. You can think about this in your own mind. How many of us would be upset 
if we died tomorrow and we would go to heaven and that our family and friends and all the people that we love are there, but that Jesus wasn't there. John Piper asked that one time. Because he said it's very easy for us to want heaven and all our family and members that we love and we care about. But sometimes he said, I wonder if we really would miss it if Jesus wasn't there. Well, for Moses, he says, I don't want to go, God, if you're not going to be with us. I don't care whatever happens, but I don't want to go without you. It means nothing. And for us, this is important that we understand as children of God who have been called out by Jesus Christ, do we appreciate how much that is? Or do we put other things more important than that? Do we mourn because God's not with us? And the children of Israel learn that it's not worth going without him. In fact, they take all their ornaments and stuff and they burn it all up. And they give it so they can build the temple, the tabernacle that they're going to build to remind them that God is with them. And they so much want God to be with them. And Moses does too, because without God, everything in this life could be perfect, but it's not worth anything without him. Sometimes it's easy for us to miss those other things and not include God in it. And here Moses is begging to God to be with them and to go with them. And that we understand in our own lives how that's so critical to us that he's there with us. As Moses realized that God had called these people out of nothing. And made them something. And how he wants them to understand how important that this journey, no matter how great it could be without God, it's not going to be anything. And he wants us to remember, you see, and this is so critical in all of our lives. And ask yourself this question. Because one of the things that happens is that when you try to make God on our terms, when we try to make God on our terms, we don't get a lot more of God. No. In fact, we get less of God when we try to have him on our terms. And Moses is trying to stress this to the people. And he's trying to get them to understand we need to God to go with us. And they realize this. This is so important for us, of knowing him and having him with us and be part of our lives. Because without him, all this is nothing. It will last temporarily, but it will last forever. God had told the children of Israel, I will be with you. You are my special possession. I care so much for you. I care so much for you as an individual that I sent my son 
my only son, to the cross to be with you. And that he put his life on the line. He's the one who served your justice. He's the one who took my anger for you on the cross. And made you his child. And that this gracious response that we receive from God. That the children of Israel had been called out as a special people. That we should feel that special in our lives. And that we understand that as we go into the world. And that we follow a God who is strong and mighty. And that we find favor in his sight. Not because of anything we've done, but before Christ has done for us. And that his promise is that not only will I be with you, but I'll give you rest. You see this word Yahweh that he uses is the God of the universe. The one who's in control of all. And Moses is saying, without you, God, it's not going to happen. It's not going to work. It's not going to be anything worthwhile. Please be with me. Please be with us. And that you know you called us distinctively as your children. You make us your special objects of your love. And you will promise to be with us. Many people like to settle for just life instead of settling for the God of all life. And Moses wants to be assured that God promised to still be with them and he wants them to reconnect with him. And he pleases, prays to God, intercedes for the people, said, be with us, God, not only me, but be with our people. And I want you to show me that you really mean business. And so Moses says, Lord, Show me your glory. Show me your glory, God. And we see how that happens. Verses 18 through 23, and Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make your goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. This word Lord it means supreme being of everything. When the rabbis would write this word out, they would stop and say a prayer. They would throw their pen out. They'd wash their hands, take a new pen and write the name Yahweh and then throw the pen out again because it was such a sacred and wash their hands. 
He said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see the face for man shall not see me and live. And God is warning him. He said, Moses, you want to see my face and we all want to see each other's faces because we know when a person is serious when we're watching a face, are we not? We can tell by their expressions on their face. A phone call doesn't do it. We need to see their body language. We need to see their facial expressions. And Moses wants that, but God says, no, because it will kill you. That's how brilliant and powerful this God is. The Lord said, but there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And by my glory passes, I will put my, you in a cleft of rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. And I take my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. God here is protecting Moses because he wants Moses to share this with the people and to affirm to them that, that God is going to still be with them. And that he's a God who's in control of the soul and cares for them. And that he realizes whom God really is. And what a powerful thing, because he shows us his presence and that he wants to be with his children. And that he will do so. And here, you and I need to practice that presence every day. We know how easy it is to slip and to stumble in our lives. We know how easy it is to act the way Christians shouldn't act. And here, Moses is getting firsthand understanding that the presence of God in your life is so important. And in mine. And how important it is the way we live when we understand he's with us. Think about it. With the presence of the Lord right by your side. When you're driving down the road and somebody cuts you off. What would you say? If you knew the Lord was right next to you in that seat. How about when you're looking at the computer? What would the stuff that you look at if you knew Christ was right there and you were cognizant of his presence with you as a friend? What would you do? What would your thought life be if you knew he was with you? He is. And Moses wants this for his people. He wants this for himself. And we should desire it. That we are filled with this attitude that his presence is with us. And we act in such manner that people see it. And Moses wants the people to experience that, but him also. 
Because he knows too that this God would be with them and make them victorious. Rather than falling to their own subtle sinful patterns. And he wanted to see God. But it is interesting that God shows him who he is. But a glimpse from behind. And how Moses is really going to know about God by what he hears. And really, this is what God does. He makes us known to himself. And he makes himself known to us by what we hear. And Moses cuts two tablets of stone. One set of tablets for the people of Israel. The other set for God. Communicating to the people of God, this is still a relationship that we both need to remind, that we need to remind ourselves as God has those in his hands. That we need him. And we need to be faithful to the commitment to that covenant. And Moses, again, you see, seeing for Moses is really hearing. Because as God declares himself, he declares himself today in this passage, probably with one of the most succinct words about himself before the cross, verbally, than anywhere else in the Bible. He helps us to see who he really is. When a person comes to you someday and they say, well, who is God? Take them to this passage in Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Because God explains himself to whom he really is. People don't understand who he is in his character. And he's reconstituting the commitment that he made for the people already. But now he's showing himself even more. And look what he says. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord. This is that great God, the sovereign God who's in control. And he wants to make the people really understand. That's why he says a double E. Because they need to say that this is just not some guy they're dealing with, a covenant deal. This is the one, the only one. He says, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast to anger, keeping steadfast to love for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. His rest, reconciliation and his work with the people of God and his reconstitution of this comes with his namesake. And he shares with them who he really is. And he wants them to understand how much he wants them to trust him. To totally depend on him. In fact, he says this thing that's unbelievable. And he brings up 
the Ten Commandments and especially the Sabbath day. And he says to them, do you trust me more than any of the other gods? Do you trust me when you're plowing and when you're reaping? Why does he say that? Because he knows how easy it was for the children of Israel to skip the Sabbath and get that extra day's work in and how they could then reap more. And he says, are you willing to stop on the seventh day and re- on the sixth, seventh day and rest? Even though it can be making more money than that, you, he says, you could easily make more money. Are you willing to stop? Siri, we don't want to hear you today. Let's see. Where I don't have an answer for that. Is there something else I can help with? Where's that coming from? Oh, my watch. Thank you. I'm not sure I understand. Bye, Siri. And here he is. He's putting it to the people of Israel. Do you really trust me that much? That you're willing to not plow and not harvest on the Sabbath. And that you trust that I will give you plenty and abundance that you need. You see, God shows himself how deep he really is. Because he comes to the children of Israel and says, I'm your rock. I'm the one who you really can trust. And as he lays out himself in the attributes, he says, I'm a merciful God. That means that I don't give you what you deserve. (laughs) Jonah had this problem. When he was called to preach by God to the Ninevites who he hated and had discrimination for the Israelites because they, he hated them the way they treated the Israelites. And he didn't want to preach because he knew that God's love would convert those souls. And he didn't want to convert them. He didn't want to be part of it. And God said, and he said, God, I knew you were. I knew you're a merciful God and you're gracious. And we know mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is God putting on Christ for us our sin. And that we don't get the penalty for our sin, but Christ got it. That we also realize that the Bible tells us that he is gracious. That he gives us what we don't deserve. And we know on the cross of Christ. Because when Christ enters our life, we receive all the goodness of Christ in our being. And that's because of grace. And then we see... That he's slow to anger with us. It's it's interesting in the Hebrew. The idiom is he's long-nosed. And that means that he doesn't have a short nose that 
like a pig, sniffs, and immediately gets some breath. But he takes a long breath and holds up his anger towards us and doesn't give us that, but rather he gives us his steadfast love that lasts for a lifetime in the eternity. And that his love is for us for all. And that his faithfulness, even when we're messing up, he doesn't mess up. Even when we're unfaithful as Israel was, he remains faithful to us. And that steadfast, never changing love. Because we're his cherished treasures because of his love for Christ. And you see, that's the beautiful thing about it. He loves us for Christ's sake. Because if he loved us for our sake, it would be easy for him to throw us in the trash, send us to hell, condemn us. But instead, he loves us for Christ's sake. And that he's faithful to us because he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world that we could be his children. That's that steadfast love. And for those who refuse him, those who do not Appreciate him. Those who are guilty are not cleared. The only ones that are cleared are those who that are in Christ are cleared of their debt. And tragically, we're seeing this today, folks, this next part. Visiting the iniquity of the Father. On the children and their children's children, the third and fourth generation. That's why fathers are so important. That's why God's way is so important for the family. They've done studies and they found that single parent moms, God bless them, who try very hard, but their children still rebel. And children of single parent father homes. Do much better. Why? Because the father's there. And he says here to his father's children's children. And that this diminishing could continue. Until his grace and mercy enters in there. And that God is not a God who walks around like Santa. Seeing who's naughty or nice. He's a God who really, truly loves us and wants us to be where he wants us to be because he knows it's the very best where we can be. And that is when we are under his grace and his mercy and that he's guiding us through the lanes of life and that we are being well because this is the God who he is. He's the God who remembers his covenant. 
And as Moses intercedes for the people of Israel, God still works with his people because he loved them. He committed to them. And that he's committed to us, God is, for Jesus' name's sake. His name's sake. And because of that, he works inside of us now. And look what the word of God says. When Moses came down from the mountain of Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down the mountain, Moses did not know that his skin of his face shone because it had been talking with God. We know that 40 days with God up in the mountain talking in the cloud changed Moses' perspective radically. And if we notice here, and it's interesting, you know, sometimes we don't understand terms. In fact, linguists who study the Old Testament, this is another word that's a very challenging word in the Old Testament. And that word means, it means horned. It said that Moses had been horned. Now in the Septuagint, which is the Bible that took the Hebrew and put it into Greek. The word became called glory or beautiful eminence. But really in the Hebrew it means that they were horned. And you're saying, what does it mean to be horned? And it means really not to be shined, but to horn, be horned. But the Latin Vulgate, which early fathers translated, called it glory. And that's where we get the whole idea of glory. And if you look at one of Michelangelo's uh, pictures of Moses, he had horns on him. Now, he was not a devil, but they were horns of brightness and glory. And here, we understand that Moses glowed. We don't know what it looked like, but he truly glowed. As Jesus, when he was on Transfiguration Mountain, he also glowed. And what we find here are our faces. When we're in the presence of God, we should glow. That we spend time with the Lord. That our glow should not fade. Moses' glow faded. They had to cover it because people were afraid of it at first. And there are going to be people who are afraid of you because you glow in Jesus. And what we need to do is that we realize that this God of the universe is empowering us through the Holy Spirit. And we're not afraid to glow with his brilliance. And to realize that what he's doing, when you spend time with the Lord, and when you are on your knees with him and you're deep grinding it out with him in your heart and soul, the Bible says we're receiving that glory. That's why when people know you, and they know that you've been with the Lord, and you're a person who lives with the Lord, they should see a real different glow about you. I'm not saying about an aura. 
But I'm saying about the depth of your spirit and your soul. And that they understand that you look at life from a completely different worldview. And that you've been with God. And he's the one who's put it all together. He's the one who wants to help you put life together and share it with our friends. And what people need to see is that glory. And Paul, it's interesting. He writes about this event with Moses. And he says that we have even a greater transpondence when Moses with God in the mountain on the cloud because the Holy Spirit is working inside of our hearts. Bringing that glory out even more and more. Look what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And for this comes from the Lord, who's the Spirit. You see what Paul is saying here? You and I are, when we're in that moment, when God is speaking to you and to me through the Word, and we're truly allowing Him to do His work and bidding inside of our hearts, he is moving us from a degree of glory to a greater one by and through his Holy Spirit. And that he's changing us to be more like him. That's when we're really connecting with him. He speaks about it several times. And that it's not a fading glory. But it's an eternal glory that comes to our souls when we truly get honest and truly open God to our things of our hearts. That we yearn to have his will in our hearts. That we yearn to do his will in our bodies. That we yearn to do his desires for our lives. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit residing. You know, there's many moments in life that I've seen people get glory. And it's not because of God, but it's because of human situations. I remember when 46 years ago, a woman walked down the aisle and said, I do to me. Big smile. But nothing compared to the glory that God gives to us from going deep with him and watch as the Holy Spirit changes from one leg of glory to the next. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each person here today that, Lord, we all understand what you desire for our lives. That you want us to become closer and closer to you every day.
to be more and more conformed to the image of Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us because you called us to be a special people. And that, Lord, as we live this life, help us to practice your presence every day. And that, Lord, that we see you as you really are. Not as a made-up image, but the God of steadfast love. And that, Father, that we are changed and transformed every day in communion with you through your Spirit. And it's in your name we pray this, Jesus. Amen. Please stand and receive the benediction and let's sing our closing song. And now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit now and forever. Amen.